0: creative journey. It's easy to get lost, but don't worry, you'll lift off. Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk. Hey, you're listening to Creative Pep Talk, a weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. I'm an illustrator for clients like Xbox, Lego in the New York Times. And as someone with ADHD, the world didn't present me with prefab paths. For someone that was like me, I had to create my own. And if you don't fit the norm, whether it's neurodivergence, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, or some other aspect of your identity that breaks the mold, you too know that taking a non-creative approach to life is just not an option whether you like it or not. So that's why this show exists. So if you make creative work, you know that it's supposed to be authentic. You're supposed to put yourself into the work metaphorically, spiritually, magically, some way getting your essence onto the page. But is that something that you can literally do? Is that something you can do on purpose? Or is it just a thing that we like to talk about because it sounds cool? How do you actually do that? In this episode, we're going to explore how to purposefully inject more of yourself into your work not in a vague sense but in a step-by-step process that will really result in part of your psychic being literally being on the page and we're going to talk about how to do that yes it's going to help you develop a unique style but that's a byproduct of the more important thing which is to have unique true to you substance and story and self in your work If you stick to the end, I'm gonna share a psychoanalytic process called active imagination. Sounds very fancy. And I actually think it kind of is, it's pretty cool. It is a process that helped me put more of myself into my work with clear steps, fully outlined. So stick around for that. But for now, let's address the elephant in the room. How do you face the blank page that says, put yourself on here without just making a self portrait? Like, what are you gonna put on that page? That is really you, that's the genuine article that's the living breathing artifact from your inside world onto the outside page how do you tackle that daunting task that's what we're going to dive in in just a second You hear a lot of talk about the dreaded blank page, the blank canvas staring at you saying, what are you going to put on this thing? I can remember a time when that was a real problem. You know, that notion of you wait all week for a couple hours to make something and then you go to make something and you're like, all right, let's do it. Wait a second. I don't know what to put on this page. What should I even make? And you get all those voices of the legends in your head that are like, put yourself onto there. And you're like, what does it mean? Uh, But recently, you know, probably for the past, I don't know, 10 years, that really hasn't been a big problem for me. And I think that the first step for me into knowing what I was going to put on the page, knowing what I was going to make next, and that kind of snowballing into never really being afraid or completely stumped by the blank page, I think the first piece of that for me was step one, quit projecting onto people you're projecting drop it you drop it you stop projecting on me so whether the blank page frightens you because you're like i just don't know how to do this magical thing that is putting yourself into the work and writing what you know uh, whether that is just frightening to you or whether you're just Never feeling like the stuff that you are putting onto the page really is who you are. The first step to getting over that is to quit projecting onto people. And so when you sit down, you see that blank page, you see that blank GarageBand file or Logic DAW uh, or the Word document or the blank Final Draft Pro, whatever it is you're using to put your creative work down if that question of what is this big, clean blank canvas perfect for, you might think Eureka. I've got it. I remember all those creative legends. They said, it's so obvious. You just got to put yourself into the work. That's it. And so you take a blob of paint and you move it towards the easel and you're like, yeah, wait a second. I have no idea what that means. (laughs) What put yourself onto the, canvas? What do you mean? I don't even know who I am. And you're like, okay, I got it. Before I make anything, I've got to find myself. And you go up to the attic and you start rooting around up there and you find old family movies and the old projector. And you think, I'm going to go look into my past. I'm going to find where I came from. I'm going to find who I am. And you go and you project those old family movies you go project your past onto your boss in the middle of a meeting when she's starting to get heated and you see your mother losing it get losing her temper and you go project your family movies onto the car in front of you in traffic that's not paying attention. They're looking at their phone and you end up getting late because you missed the light and you see yourself missing the bus for summer camp and you throw a full on meltdown tantrum both in the projection and in your car as an adult in real life. And you go to the grocery store and you project your family movies and your past onto the deli counter person where they're slicing the meat too thin And the only way to ingest this turkey dust is just snorting it straight off the deli glass. It's turkey! And you shout at the deli counter kid and yourself that you're projecting onto him when you shaved it too thin and you accidentally gave yourself a buzz cut and you you've been teased for two months in high school for, for getting it wrong. All right. This doesn't make any sense. It's completely ridiculous. No one's going to actually project old tapes onto people in their everyday lives, right? Like that's just not going to be practical. That's not the place to do it. You need a, a quiet room without moving targets with a big flat substrate, a big clean blank, sheet or a wall or even maybe a canvas, maybe a big, clean, blank canvas is the place to project yourself onto and really dig into who you are. And you and I both know that it's completely ridiculous for you to think that out in the light of day in your everyday world, that that's the place to project your insides and yourself and your past onto it's completely ridiculous in theory but it's also a reality this is exactly what we really do and we then go project all of these inside tapes these complexes that we have and these hurts and these traumas onto our everyday life and then we sit in front of a blank canvas that is the perfect substrate to project onto and think we've got nothing to explore. But this quiet place, this secret place where you're alone with your thoughts and yourself, and you can project through symbol and character and fiction your past and your grief and your hopes and your dreams and your hurts and your rebellious side and your spiritual side and the side of you that's a complete blockhead loser. It's all the perfect place to project that stuff. Oh, you blockhead! And speaking of blockhead losers, the most famous blockhead of all time is, of course, Charlie Brown. I have always been a huge fan of Charlie Brown, I loved the psychology and spirituality and humor and artistry of Charlie Brown growing up. And as I was trying to find myself creatively and I didn't feel like there was a roadmap or any step by steps, I couldn't find how do you really put yourself into your work? I just started consuming interviews and chats and talks and everything that I could find from my favorite creators, one of them being Charles Schultz. And Charles Schultz, the creator of Charlie Brown and creator of Peanuts, was often asked, like, are you Charlie Brown? Your name's Charles. Like, is Charlie Brown just autobiographical and "And this is about you? And he would always say something like, yes, Charlie Brown is me, but he's just a part of me. He's the part of me that's a, a loser with a heart of gold that wants to be so much more. And Lucy is the mean and sharp and clever cutting part of me. And Linus is my spiritual side, and Schroeder is my creative side, and Snoopy is the part of me that wishes that he was super cool. Like, every character in those stories is just a part of the creator. And when I came across this idea, I was completely fascinated by it. And it is a deeply fascinating idea, but it's not a deeply original one, which is what i came to find out as I dug into the history of creators creating from this place, but also analysts analyzing creative work through this lens. And in fact, the psychoanalytic way to read creative works and stories and myths and, and, and paintings has this idea at its core that the psychoanalytic reading of any creative work is the understanding that every character within this painting or story is just a aspect of a whole, whether it's the aspect of a society or an aspect of one individual. And for me, the biggest turning point I think in my ability to put myself into my work in any real way came from understanding the symbolic and philosophical framework of consuming work through the lens of all of this is not a story of stuff happening on the outside, but a reading of something happening on the inside of the creator when I started to consume work that way, it changed how I created it because I started to create it from that lens. Let's talk about exactly what that looks like in practice. So in my creative journey, step one to putting myself more into my work and building the foundation of my creative practice on that kind of substance started with stopping projecting onto people and realizing that the page is a much better place to project those inside battles and hurts and pains. And the second step was realizing that how I consume creative work the work of other people, influences how I create it. And I want to dive into what that looks like. So this is part three of our self-excavation series. It's a series about how to find who you are as a creator. In my experience, your creative self and substance and story is so much more important and foundational than your creative style. The style, in my experience, is something that is helps you create quicker, helps you have more bandwidth to focus on the things that matter. And that style is the form that follows the function of the shape of your substance, of what you're trying to say. So in some ways, this is a, is a how to find your style by means of finding yourself as a creator. I love what artist Tim Goodman says, which is quit thinking about how you make stuff, which is your style and start thinking about what you want to say, because what you want to say is going to influence how you say it. Uh, The substance of your work, the the symbols of your work, what your work is about is going to determine the style in which you present it just in the same way that if you say, I love you, there's a, you don't have to think about how I'm going to say it. You're just thinking about what you're going to say. Uh, if it's a true, meaningful message that you're trying to present, the style will take care of itself because you're just going to say it like you mean it because you do. And so in episode one of the series, we collected stories and artworks that hit us on a profound level. Episode two, we talked about connections between those collected pieces, those collected works, like how do they relate? What do they have in common? And in this episode, we're going to get to the last and final step, which is projecting those connections that you collected into the work. It's those three pieces, collecting, connecting, and projecting. And you can kind of think of it, I like to think of it like a constellation. You collect the stars, you connect the dots in the constellation, and you project that bigger picture onto the canvas like it's a planetarium in your elementary school gym. Those are my favorite days in elementary school. I don't know if you got to do that, but it was weird. It was claustrophobic. It smelled, it was strange, but it was also pure transcendent magic. The days you got to just, for whatever reason, go to the gym in the middle of school day and it was your time to go crawl into this. I mean, it's petrifying. It's like a giant body bag um, that's inflated and you go in there with your gym teacher, maybe. I don't remember who led us through that. And they project a planetarium onto this big, um, canvas. And I, I just was obsessed with those days, but that's kind of what I think about. That's kind of how I think of your work. You're, you're projecting these connections. You're projecting these f- things that you found within yourself that you're working out in yourself, that you're digging into, that you're excavating with the work. And you can kind of think of it like a constellation. But what do we actually mean when we're talking about creative work as a projection? Well, let me give you a little example. So growing up, I was a huge fan of Greek myths. I got into them from a friend who was much smarter than me and an interesting character named Jeff. I had a few good friends named Jeff. I feel like Jeff is the ideal friend name. I think... Sam wise Gamgee should have been Jeff wise Gamgee in my opinion, but um, he got me into mythology and the myth that stuck with me most was Theseus and the Minotaur. And it's a super cool story. It would definitely be in my collected works in terms of the art that made the biggest impact on me, but without the piece of projection I would probably just guess that I liked the story because it had a minotaur that was half bull, half man, half beast. And it connected to, it must've been connected to my family's 90s obsession with Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And I wasn't into sports. So this was kind of my way to be a part of that. Like maybe that's what was going on in terms of the connections. And maybe I would get halfway there, but I could still to this day, draw a Chicago Bulls logo from memory. But stopping at that connection without the third piece of projection, I would probably just be drawing Chicago Bulls-type characters into my work without any real sense of what is this about and why does this actually feel psychically charged for me. Well, I think it's probably a projection of what I was feeling growing up in a house that was so heavy on the sports championship being the best ever like michael jordan like maybe this story was getting at something that i was feeling with that and that this was this story was almost a projection of that emotion it became personal with me because on the surface the story might just have been initially appealing to me because the bull and it was kind of cool and all that stuff but For it to stick with me over a lifetime, it had to resonate on a deeper level. And so to kind of get at this and consume it in a non-surface level way, let's think of it through the lens of a psychoanalytic reading. And so psychoanalyzing a story, a myth, or a fairy tale, or a painting, or a song, or a movie, or a poem, all of it has to do with reading it as if it was one person's psyche, Like every character in the painting, isn't a bunch of characters. It's not Mary and Jesus and, and the father and Peter. And it's not all of those people. It's not really anything to do with a bunch of different people on the outside. It's more about different aspects of the same person in the same way that Charles Schultz was doing so. If we took Theseus and the Minotaur and we did this to that story, the basic story on the outside is a nation that every year sacrifices seven men and women to this half bold man beast in a maze until one guy has had enough and he finally slays the beast Named His name's Theseus, and he makes it out of the maze with the help of the beautiful princess's gift of thread. And on the surface, it's a fun story, but it's not something that sticks with you for a lifetime. So for me, a better explanation about what was really going on in this story on a subconscious level is, I think, my guess, I'm not a psychoanalyst, but if I had to try to tackle what's going on here, I think it's... That this bull man beast, man bear pig, is the part of an individual person who, or an individual nation, or an individual family who's become so imbalanced toward the historically conventionally thought of masculine energy that it's become a bullish monster that's out of control with violence and the psychoanalysis of the story would treat every character in that as a piece of the same person and they would say Theseus is the balanced masculine side the princess is the inner feminine side Snoopy is the cool rebellious side i just want to <laughs> i just want to call the Minotaur Snoopy. Is that okay? No, it's getting, sorry, it got confusing. But the Minotaur is the part, the shadow side. It's the side of imbalance. And they even set the scene from the beginning and say they sacrifice seven men and women to this beast. And seven is often known as the symbol of perfection. And so to me, I'm thinking they they sacrifice the perfect balance of masculine and feminine to this thing. And it's become out of control, and so it's the job of Theseus to go in the the part of his psyche, the ego, to go into this labyrinth, this maze. And often, labyrinths and mazes are symbols of the twisty, turny, dangerous psyche, the mind. Like your brain, even looks like a maze. You can get lost in there if you go too, too far. Um, and, uh, and Theseus goes in there to confront the shadow, to confront the problem of being imbalanced. And he does so only through the help of balancing himself out with the feminine. The thing in him, in this story that allows him to succeed, where other people lost, is he has this ability to carefully thread his way through his dangerous mind, his dangerous psyche and kill the beast, but also make it back out by following the thread that was carefully laid. And, and, uh, and he's able to confront that monstrous side of himself that is out of control. And I am kind of addicted to this psychoanalytic trick of unearthing meaning in things that I consume by treating every dream and myth and story and movie and TV show as Primarily parts of the same whole. But I'm also not a psychologist. I don't have a degree in that. I'm not an expert at it. It's not really my place to further pontificate on how to have psychoanalytic readings. But what I do have a lot of experience in is psychoanalytic making from the lens of the artist. So I'm taking the Perspective of a creator that's been trying to work this stuff out, project this stuff out, dig into myself and excavate using this lens. And that's really what I'm kind of getting at. And I think though, Just You don't have to be a psychoanalyst, you don't have to get it all right, you don't have to be an expert at this, to start consuming things just with that little switch of this story that I love, this collection that I have and the connections I've made, start reading those things, not as if they're really cool things about series of events that are happening on the outside, but instead reading them as this is something that is deeply moving me because these pieces of this puzzle and of this story and these characters are in some ways different parts of myself. And I think when you start seeing the things you consume through that lens, it's going to influence how you create when you show up to the page. And so I think the second piece is consuming differently and that will lead to creating differently. And so if you are interested in taking this further and taking action on how to create your work through the psychoanalytic lens, let's talk about a tool from that world on how to create from that place. Let's talk about active imagination. Where are we, Barney? Storybook land, a very magical place where we can use our imagination. But I do have to warn you. It's not all purple dinosaurs and rainbows. I need dinosaurs! Thunder! Like the Minotaur, there are going to be some shadowy monsters within this thing as you start digging in. And I almost feel like with art school that if you were approaching the canvas in this way from this place of putting yourself onto the canvas, that the most responsible thing to do would be to make sure that every art school student is paired with a weekly or or bi-weekly therapy session. Because as you start unpicking this, it's a real disclaimer to say that you might need to make sure that you're in a, a state of being that is stable and secure or supported by family members, friends that you can really trust, and ideally a professional who can help you walk into that maze and thread carefully through it in such a way that you don't lose yourself. But I I, I do think that it is paramount to creating work that is truly you. Okay. Step three is to make a project project and a project project is of course a project in which you are projecting the connections that you made from the collections. If you haven't already, you can go back to 4.11, the episode 4.11 of this show and start at the beginning And work your way through and do each activity, but essentially it starts with collecting the stories and the images and the creative works that you've encountered that have this deep emotional resonance. Starting to connect those things, starting to see what are the patterns in these things. For me, when I look at my own collection, it was things like The Matrix and Zelda and Harry Potter and Moomin and Hayao Miyazaki. roasted all these things and I started noticing that a lot of them were the things that followed really directly from Joseph Campbell's outline of the hero's journey and so there was this hero archetype this hero symbol that showed up in a bunch of different places and that was going that hero was going to be something that I was going to project into the project that I was making and also what I realized was my favorite version of the legend of Zelda series. The one I hope they turn into to a movie was Zelda link to the past, which was of course a super Nintendo one for all you uh, non-nerds. And uh, it was about this, this world that had a hidden world, a dark world where you could enter through a portal and all of a sudden you're in the same land, but it looks all different and everyone looks different and there's another dimension to this universe And as I collected and connected the dots, I realized that that's what Alice in Wonderland is about. That's what Wizard of Oz is about. You know, Wizard of Oz has the same characters, but they look slightly different. Everything's transformed. It's another dimension. Fraggle Rock was about that. It's about a world that's right below the surface, literally underneath the ground. And so that hidden world, I started projecting those tropes, the Eyes in the trees, the living mountains, the weird portals, all of that into a daily project that eventually became the most important creative project of my work to date, which is invisible things, which is a a picture book that we have coming out, which I'll tell you a little bit more at the end of this episode about that project is a direct result of making those connections and then projecting those connections into my work until I started to figure out what was different about me, what was different about my take. Because the difference between invisible things and Zelda Linked to the Past and Alice in Wonderland is that invisible things is about the hidden world that is real. That there is 95% of the world that is actually invisible, that we live in that kind of magical world because things like dark matter and gravity and love and smells and sounds are all these invisible worlds that are very real but hidden from our eyes. And that only was possible by not just self-expressing, but self-excavating through the process of collecting, connecting, and projecting. And I created, after going through these steps, I created a project that was, the, the purpose of the project was to project myself into 260 characters, making a new character every weekday for a year. I wouldn't say all of them are exactly me, but a lot of them are aspects of myself trying to get myself onto the page. And speaking of Joseph Campbell, uh, there's this quote from him that says the hero's journey is inside of you, tear off the veil, open up the mystery of yourself. And it's that same idea that the hero's journey is a, a story of one psyche. It's not just a story of things that happen outside yourself. And so how do you put this practice to work? How do you project yourself onto a project here's your creative call to adventure your cta for this week to put this to action right this second you're going to do what's known as active imagination now active imagination is essentially what charles schultz was doing and i didn't realize that for a long time until i'd got deep into the work of carl young who coined the term active imagination. Active imagination was basically daydreaming. It was basically sitting and talking free association or writing or drawing or creating and letting symbols just bubble up to the surface without judgment. And another way I used to do this, which is how I learned how to use programs like Garage Band, which eventually helped me to create a podcast, was I used to make these nonsensical rap songs in college. And I would just basically come up with whatever random words and thoughts and symbols and pictures would show up for me, and I would make those rhymes. And as I was creating those songs, I would figure out later or through the process what I felt like they were about. And you'll hear this with musicians all the time. They'll just start making melodies. They'll start making sounds. And it starts as this abstraction that's bubbling up from the subconscious that seems like nonsense. But some creators stop there. And I would recommend going one step further, believing that there is gold underneath this subconscious layer. And it's the same thing that youngians do with dream analysis. And I have just been absolutely blown away by the connections that you can make by taking dreams as if they make sense, as if they are every person in your dream, a different part of your psyche, because they literally are. They're not the real person in your dream. They're actually the, yes, they are the manifestation of maybe what you think of as them, but they're really literally part of your psyche. And if you start reading them that way, all of a sudden you see all these layers of meaning. And now you're not just like, accidentally creating stuff with meaning you are doing it on purpose with vision and intentionality and power and precision. And you can do that every single song. You can start with the melodies that just arise. You can start with the act of imagination of just letting symbols come up, whatever comes to mind, but then assuming that below that symbol is something worthwhile. And the act of imagination I want you to do is to take those connections from the collections, the hidden world for me, or the hero, or maybe it's the rebel, maybe it's the mage, wait, maybe it's the sage, maybe it's uh, snakes, maybe it's dinosaurs, whatever it is. Take those symbols and put them on the page and start asking yourself, what are these about? Start treating those subconscious intuitive things that just bubble up nonsensically within you as making more sense than the regular thoughts that you have. Because in my experience, your brain doesn't have the ability to bubble up truly nonsensical things. It doesn't have the ability to resonate, to think something's cool just because it's cool in an abstract way. It's always telling you something deeper. An example of that that I heard recently that just knocked my socks off was uh, I talk about story expert Brian McDonald quite a bit on this show. And he was talking about. Jurassic Park, that Jurassic Park, the idea of bringing dinosaurs back to life and all the problems that come from that, that these dinosaurs reanimating these extinct things, that if you pull at that and you look at the language that you could use to describe what was going on, you could say, he'd say that it's telling you to let dead things lie, like let the past stay in the past that dinosaurs are the perfect symbol of things that no longer exist and shouldn't be here anymore, shouldn't be terrorizing your present day. And if you will let yourself actively imagine, take those connections and think about what, okay, what symbols come up when I think about hidden worlds. For me, it was, creatures under a rug or eyes over a a hat peering through masks that are veiled, those symbols, putting them on the page without fully understanding it helped me get closer and closer to seeing that, Oh, this is about my sense that the most interesting, engaging parts of our universe are hidden from our eyes. And that led me to that project. But it wasn't isolated to that project. It's, it's trickled out into every episode of this show starts with just a subconscious yearning or, or bubbling up of a symbol or an idea or every episode art for this show. The, the ones that I'm most proud of are the ones where I'm like, I don't know. I'm thinking it's something like, I just uh, want to draw a snake. I want to draw a shell. I want to draw a wave, you know, and just kind of trusting that and putting it on the page and thinking with my hands. And so Your call to adventure is to take those connections and start just doodling around them. Just start putting stuff on the page, start humming onto the DAW of your choice without judgment and see what that active imagination and daydreaming brings up and keep creating from that. And you might have to create a whole album or a whole project where you don't know what this is about, but you're using the work to excavate and ask questions rather than give answers. And I actually think that there are multiple types of projects. If you're a musician, there might be albums, whole albums, that are, this is me, projecting. And I don't know what it is. It's a personal project. It's a personal album. And the next one might be, this is who I want you to realize I am. And you're really making a side project that is a branding project where you're telling people, this is who I am. This is what I do. And then you might do a whole body of work, a whole project that is trying to connect to a particular group of people. And it's more like an effort to connect based on what you know about yourself. There are all these different types, but this whole process, this whole series has been about the idea that before you start to make money, before you start concerning yourself with connecting with other people, that you have to take seriously connecting with yourself and taking seriously means taking time. It means doing work. It means projecting on a project over a extended period of time without any real significant obvious strategic payoff and for me i had to spend an entire year making new characters every weekday for a year without having any real sense of what is this for And at the end of it, I thought, am I a character designer? And I got a few character design freelance jobs and I hated it. It Didn't wasn't what I was doing at all, but it led me to realize that I want to tell stories and that the perfect place to project the kind of things that I want to talk about, the perfect place to project those initially are picture books. But I would have never got to that place if I hadn't first spent time giving myself attention in this very systematic intentional way where I was making work not for the purpose of self-expressing but for the purpose of self-excavating before it mattered to anybody else and I think ultimately if you don't take anything else from this series away I, I think that this is the biggest takeaway for me that you can't ask anybody else to pay attention to you if you are not willing to pay attention to yourself This week's episode was brought to you by The Invisible Thing, Lost in a Book. Lost in a Book is this little book with eyes hiding in it and legs poking out of the book. It's one of my favorite characters uh, from the project. And I selected this character for this week because I've been lost in this book for a long time. Sophie and I co-created The Invisible Things picture book that is out in July, July 18th, 2023. And if you have been a fan of this podcast for a long time, or you are a fan of my creative work, I don't really think that there is a better artifact or specimen of my work and the stuff that we talk about on this show every week. And so for that reason alone, I think you're really gonna like it. If you go to invisiblethings.co, you can pre-order the book. And you can submit your receipt from wherever you pre-order it, uh, right on that page. And the publisher has been kind enough to do this incredible pre-order incentive. We made an updated version of the poster. It's 16 by 20 of some of the best invisible things, characters, our favorites. And uh, you get that poster free if you pre-order the book only, only available uh, for free if you pre-order it in the next couple weeks. Now... We have been doing this whole self-excavation series because it is the work that led to this book. This book is an artifact that is an example of this work. And I think we're going to do one more episode that is all about why this process leads to work that matters to you. And this book is the most meaningful project that I've been a part of. I think that uh, for both Sophie and I, there are aspects of ourselves that we have poured into this. And I think that for me, it's a book that I hope has a real chance of catching on for kids that were like me who were uninspired by what they saw. And I think the world at this point, I can imagine, looks like a scary place or a boring place in comparison to what's happening on screens. And Invisible Things to me is me giving to younger me what I didn't get because I didn't realize that the world was such a worthy of wonder type place. I didn't realize that there were these hidden dimensions until I was probably 16 or 17. I started reading about quantum physics and other dimensions and black holes. And that just started opening up the, the doorway of seeing that there's so much going on below the surface in our universe. And it's not that trippy. It's kind of trippy. It's definitely a weird, silly book that is primarily designed for kids to just get psychically engaged on a deep level with this work. That's, that's how that was my hope for it. And ultimately it is an invitation to, uh, a younger group of people seeing that invitation so that they can realize that th- this world is, uh, can be this brilliant place to connect with via your senses, via science, via math, via psychology, that there's so much worth sticking around for and engaging with and, and, and marveling at. And so I really hope that this book catches on some of the response just on social media has, has given me the feeling that if it gets, if, if it gets a chance of people seeing it, then it really might take on a life of its own. And I think the only way that a book gets to do that most of the time as if pre-orders go really well because all the pre-orders go to the sales of that first week. And if that sales of the first week are really good, then it gets on the radar of all kinds of different outlets and platforms that has a domino effect. And so I super believe in the book and I hope that if you've loved this series, if you love this show, if you want to support what we do, that you would buy one, for, uh, the, the kid in your life that, you know, and then also buy one for yourself. Cause if you're a fan of this stuff, I think you're gonna like it and help us spread the word on social media and in person and calling your libraries and calling your bookshops. We need all the help we can get. And, um, I try not to ask too much directly from any of the people listening to the show. It's supposed to be primarily a gift for the listener, but, um, this is one of those rare cases where I am asking for your help because I really believe in this project and I think it can be a really powerful thing for kids and, uh, grownups too. And so you can order it from your local bookstore. You can order it wherever you get books online or in person. And, uh, you can submit your receipt on a, on a button on the invisible Co page and also be, um, in the pool of people that get the free poster for pre-sales so thank you so much massive shout out to yoni wolf and the band y for our theme music and soundtrack thanks to connor jones for editing and sound design Thank you to Katie Chandler, Ryan Appleton, and Sophie Miller for podcast assistance of all kinds. And thanks to you for listening. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.